it's time to do another one of these things. Already? The only reason I got into podcasting, I was promised a romance, and it hasn't happened. This is the Yearbook Sportscast. We're in a good mood. A 522 went in the first round of the NBA draft this week. Forward Isaiah Stewart of Washington. Don't call him. Stuart Washington or Washington Stewart. That's the most 522 thing you can do. He was drafted 16th overall by the Pistons this week, a May 22nd in the first round of the NBA draft. May 22nd is my birthday, and May 22nd needs all the help it can get. Julian Edelman called. Maggie Q called. Jennifer Goodwin called. Look her up. And that pretty much sums up the current state of the date, May 22nd. You have to look it up. Says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com if you want to contact us, former famed Georgetown University men's basketball coach John Thompson, who passed away in August, wrote an autobiography that's set to be released, I believe, in December next month. Part of that autobiography was adapted and turned into an editorial that ran in the New York Times where Thompson posthumously argues that college athletes should get paid. When he was coaching, I disagreed with John Thompson a lot. But both of us changed our minds on the paying college athletes thing. And in his essay, he basically asked the same questions I've been asking. Only no one cares what I think, and they shouldn't. John Thompson says, he used to be against paying college athletes. I used to be as well. But for the last bunch of years, I've been in favor of it. Thompson's editorial is definitely interesting, especially coming from a man who coached in the biggest of the big time. But it struck me when he left space for a lot of unanswered questions. Thompson asks what a fair pay structure would look like when a college basketball team's star player thinks he should get paid the most money. It's all theory right now, but from what's been described so far, I think that's the idea. The best of the best would be allowed to find their own endorsements and find endorsement money, and the other players just wouldn't be worth as much. But Thompson also asks how this would work, and also treat female athletes fairly. I would take that one step further. You're paying players what they're worth on the open market, but what about schools where a women's team is more popular than the men's teams? Those places exist. Football and men's basketball are second to a women's team. So since those women run their school, are they going to get paid a lot? Aren't they going to be paid more than the men? Thompson also asks what's going to happen at places where even the big sports don't make money. Lots of schools lose money on college sports or don't have any money left over. So where are the salaries going to come from? And then a great point, a stellar point that I never thought of. If colleges are essentially going to be hiring athletes like employees, can those athletes be fired too? They pretty much are already. A lot of college athletes who no longer fit into their team's plans are either gently or not gently pushed into transferring or just pushed off the team. But if universities and colleges treat players as employees, will they then ditch the -the behind-the-scenes transactions and just outright fire or get rid of players on a whim? Absolutely, college players should be paid. But for all the talk out there, like John Thompson says in his editorial, I haven't heard anyone talking about any of those things. I really liked hearing former player Akeem Tlaib do the color commentary for last Sunday's Lions-Washington footballers game on Fox. Tune in for Matt Nelson of the Lions. He's a great story. Look him up. Stay for Akeem Tlaib. I'd much rather listen to Tlaib than Tony Romo. 
during his playing career, Tlaib was in some headlines for run-ins with the law, uh, rightly or wrongly, that still kind of connected his name to a handful of incidents. Everybody makes mistakes, but it would still be easier for me to like him 100% if his past were a little less checkered. I don't know his life, and again, maybe that's on me, but Tlaib was really good on the broadcast. He's much better than uh, Romo. Where's all your fancy talk about Jim Harbaugh now? Michigan football is in free fall. If you don't know, that's not good. And we've been defending Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh for years now. Michigan's terrible season could be yet another COVID inconvenience. Maybe the players and coaches are just having trouble focusing through COVID. That would be completely understandable. But even if this is an aberration, Harbaugh did not need a COVID inconvenience, which is why it's called that, in year six of his tenure. At some point soon, Harbaugh has to start winning big in Michigan's problem areas. And he's already lost to rival Michigan State this year, a team he had been succeeding at beating. So even if Harbaugh survives into next season, he should be at this point about to either win big or win a huge bowl game, or at least beat Ohio State. And the Wolverines currently don't look close to any of those. However, stay with me. Our original point remains the same. Michigan is a terrific job. The football team should be winning. They should be winning big. They have a ton of money, a ton of fans, beautiful facilities. But everyone is waiting for a Michigan coach to finally return the Wolverines to the way things were. The way things were when? Probably the way things were under Michigan great coach Bo Schembechler. But under Schembechler, they never won a national title. The Wolverines came close to finishing number one twice in a 12-year period, but Bo never won one. Michigan was also an annual bowl game bust every season. The Wolverines were terrific, and they beat Ohio State a lot. But then mighty Michigan would head west or south and suddenly play like a bunch of snake lights in their bowl games. From 1969 to 79, the Wolverines lost every bowl game they played in, five Rose Bowls, an Orange Bowl, and a Gator Bowl. Uh, Things improved after that. But still, from 80 to 89, while Michigan won two Rose Bowls, which is important, they lost three Rose Bowls. They also won a Fiesta Bowl, lost a Sugar Bowl, and went 2-1 and one in three minor bowl games. I am not at all arguing that Bo Schembechler was a bad coach or that this is all his fault. He was an all-time great, and he made Michigan. He's the reason that we're talking about Michigan right now. But for a very, very, very long time now, Michigan has been more famous than great. They're famous for being famous. Schembechler's successor, Gary Moeller, is even being mentioned with reverence now. Moeller won the 1993 Rose Bowl, that's important, but he also lost a Rose Bowl while winning three other minor bowl games. Prior to Schembechler, Michigan hadn't won a national title since 1948. In fact, of Michigan's 11 national championships, not a typo, 10 were won on or before 1948. Eight of those were won prior to 1934. The one outlier is when Michigan won the 1997 title and then was never heard from again. In reality, Michigan doesn't want to go back to Schembechler 
They don't want to come close twice in a 12-year period. They don't want to lose to Western and Southern opponents year after year in big bowl games. They don't want to win minor bowl games. Michigan wants to go back to the way things were at Florida State, where the Seminoles finished ranked in the top four for 13 straight years. UM wants to go back to the way things were at Nebraska, where the Cornhuskers won at least nine games, which is amazing, 34 times in 36 years. Or at least Michigan wants to go back to the way things are at Ohio State, where the Buckeyes have basically been an annual superpower since 2002, playing in four national championship games, and they've won two. But to find a Michigan era Michigan would actually want to go back to, you have to go back to at least the 1940s. So, Jan, cut the crap. Just knock off all this talk about how 1969 to 2007, or even 1949 to 2007, was a Michigan golden era, because by today's standards, it wasn't. <laughs> ¶¶